for Thought on WJR is presented by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state. Here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for listening. I invested a good bit of my time this week reaching out to leaders I respect and asking them about the government shutdown. I received great insight, ideas, and input on the crisis. I'll share one point that I embrace from those discussions, and that's the value of teamwork. You've heard it before. Teamwork makes the dream work. Team, together, everyone accomplishes more, or together, everyone accomplishes the mission. In politics, bipartisan cooperation or teamwork appears to have gone the way of the dinosaur, Chia Pet, VHS, and the hula hoop. Yet, as the challenge escalates, the need for teamwork elevates. Republicans and Democrats, the White House and Congress, may not be able to set aside their differences completely, but they can tone down their insistence on having all of their demands met. A leader who values teamwork creates a sense of urgency compelling enough and a vision for the future attractive enough to convince rivals to find common ground. Ultimately, success comes to a team only when its players let go of self-serving agendas and combine their abilities in the interest of the team as a whole. As much as we regret having to do it, Jerry and I are back to discuss this partial government shutdown, its effect on our network, and to help us, we've asked our lead advocate in Washington, D.C., Kate Leon of Feeding America, to join us. Come back and be with Jerry, Kate, and me in just a moment. Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Visit fbcmich.org. Welcome back, everyone. And as promised, Kate Leon, the Chief Government Relations Officer for Feeding America, is our guest. Jerry, say good morning. Good morning. And, you know, I, I don't get this excited except when we do the show. Right. Because we have guests like this. And, and Kate, you know, we should probably have you say just a bit about Feeding America, just to remind our listeners about what is Feeding America, what it does. Give us 35 seconds or a minute and a half on that so people can know what that is. And then, and then we are going to be talking about what I think is an urgent now um, concern about the shutdown and, and how long this might persist and what the consequences might be. So tell us a little about Feeding America. Uh, well, great. Thank you so much for having me, first of all. Um, I'm really excited to be here from Washington, D.C., where all the action is these days. Um, but Feeding America is a network of 200 member food banks across the country, um, serving every state and actually every congressional district across the country. Um, they Together, they have about 60,000 pantries that help give food to people in need every day, and we feed about 46 million people a year. Um, and so we're really excited to continue that work and are certainly ready to help in times of government shutdown where that need becomes even more magnified. Uh, but we certainly also are very much uh, eager to see the shutdown end so that, that people can uh, resume getting their paychecks and not have 
programs they rely on disrupted and um, can move on with their lives and we can get back to the day-to-day business that we do every day. And I want a little more shout out for Feeding America and what you do for us food banks. Um, Certainly all of us food banks in Michigan benefit from your help in getting us food and funds and helping us establish best practices, doing the work that you do to communicate with our federal legislators and the the federal government on many different levels, um, which is, you know, the next step from where Phil is here at the Food Bank Council of Michigan doing that work in the state of Michigan. And and uh, Phil started the show by talking about how together everyone accomplishes more, and we certainly feel that way about Feeding America, and we thank you for your work. Thank you, and thank you for everything you do to make sure that people in Michigan have what they need every day. Well, Kate, you guys are, um, you and your team there in Washington, D.C., are standing in the gap for, um, as you said, some 40, 46 million people who struggle with food insecurity. We're doing this on a day-to-day basis, but then when we add the partial government shutdown to the equation, that at least adds another 800,000 federal employees and their families to that number. And um, I just wondered if you could just give us, from your perspective, uh, today, where we're at, and we recognize this is a moving target, um, but where are we at on the government shutdown today from the Feeding America lens there in Washington, D.C.? Well, there's good news and bad news, I think, from our perspective that has happened so far this week. Um, the president met with congressional leaders. That meeting went pretty poorly. Um, it didn't last very long, and they came out sort of in the same place they started, um, which is no progress and no um, no sort of way to see an end in sight. On the other hand, uh, USDA announced earlier this week, uh, just prior to that meeting, that they have figured out a way to fund federal nutrition programs through the month of February. So if that the shutdown is not resolved by the end of this month in January, that means that we do have a functioning SNAP program um, going into February, which was the great fear because of all the safety net programs the federal government operates, SNAP was the one most in jeopardy as a result of this particular shutdown. And so that is a real relief um, it is a one-time deal, though, that mm-hmm. if this shutdown extends beyond February, we are looking at really catastrophic um, results with right. people losing SNAP coverage across the country, and that will be an absolute nightmare for the people we serve, for people that we haven't even seen yet. Mm-hmm. And really, retailers, everyone across the country will feel the brunt of that um, of something like that. So that could be the catastrophe that we are really hoping that moves us forward to get a shutdown um, finished. Yeah, and I think it is one of the reasons why we wanted to cover this issue again is to apply a little public pressure on getting this resolved. I think, you know, even as we continue to change the conversation about food security in Michigan and we continue to work hard to show that this is a solvable problem and that if we take it a step at a time and are smart about it and keep learning and and keep involving everyone in the solution, we really do believe this is a solvable problem. But I think even, even with that, a lot of people don't really realize that SNAP, every dollar that SNAP gives to people to spend produces a dollar 79 
in economic activity because you know they're buying at the retail level which is the the highest point on the food supply chain and so everything before that in the food supply chain is supported by the spending at the retail level so that's why mm-hmm. it has this cascading effect and when you consider that it's grocery stores that are the main beneficiary of snap dollars right so the people getting snap are feeding their families and moving on with their life, but it is the business plan for grocery. And that creates a very troubling dynamic, and I don't know what the conversation... Are people talking about that in Washington? They are. Um, Right now, I think that the USDA announcement has let a little of the steam out of the um, balloon. That's not the right analogy. Uh, But... Mm -hmm. uh, because the urgency doesn't seem as great. Mm-hmm. But the uncertainty, I think, is a real thing for retailers as they um, look at this situation and they um, figure things. Not only would it disrupt for them just regular purchasing, they, they order based on what they expect demand to be. And if SNAP benefits are disrupted, that is a that is a real problem for not only the actual purchasing, but for what they have in stock. So I think that it's a real thing that we expect to hear more from retailers on it. Um, It's also something that will have consequences beyond just the short-term economy. If people lose their SNAP benefits, they're going to have increased health care costs. They're going to, kids aren't going to be able to learn in Mm -hmm. school. It's going to be a much broader impact. And how do you make that up for a child who has gone hungry for a month because they don't have SNAP? They fall behind in school. They may have um, increased health needs that are going to be picked up in a lot of cases by um, the federal and state governments through the Medicaid program and in other cases perhaps through private insurance, but perhaps they won't even go treated at all if they're uninsured. So it's a real broader picture than just what we um, think about as the SNAP program. It really impacts the economy and people's lives in a much deeper way. So she's Kate Leone. She's our Chief Government Relations Officer for Feeding America, our national organization here with the Food Bank Council of Michigan and all of our seven Feeding America food banks here in the state. So we're discussing the partial government shutdown. Kate, I got a couple of questions for you. I know Jerry's got about five or six. Let's take a break and come back in just a moment. She's Kate Leone. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight, and this is Food for Thought. It's Food for Thought on WJR with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Our guest, Kate Leone, the Chief Government Relations Officer for Feeding America, who's standing in the gap for all of our work and for the people that we serve there in Washington, D.C. And, Kate, of course, it's a great pleasure to have you here. And I'd, I'd like to pick up with you uh, from the last, from that, that, that past segment there where we talked about SNAP is funded, and that is, we know, is the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, what many people my age and around would refer to as food stamps. And then here in Michigan, it's known as the Bridge Card or the EBT Card. So we know that that is funded through February, but states have to work out with USDA and FNS in in particular how those benefits for February are going to be distributed by January the 20th. And so we're a little concerned about the, the confusion that that would cause here. For example, if, if I received my SNAP benefits on January 23rd, the 23rd of the month is my day, I'm going to get my February benefits before I get my 
um, January benefits, and I'm not going to get any benefits then until March 23rd if the shutdown ceases to be. Is that pretty accurate to what you guys are hearing? Yeah, we're concerned. I mean, I think there are sort of two steps in this in this plan from USDA that we're really happy to see, but there are two steps where we really have to focus in and make sure that we can alleviate the confusion. And the first is that state action to make sure that they take advantage of this opportunity from USDA. So we really need to make sure that no states forget or no states let slip through the cracks <laughs> right. because we really want to make sure that we don't have, you know, a whole state where this, this is not um, a benefit that people can access should we still be in a shutdown um, come February. But the next issue is what you just mentioned, which is there could be some confusion at the beneficiary level, and that will be getting those benefits at a different time on January 20th, and they will be loaded onto cards, and people will need to plan their budgets accordingly. That's pretty difficult and hard um, to think through. Uh, mm-hmm. particularly when you're food insecure right. and you're um, struggling to put food on the table. So we are really concerned about that as well, and we're hoping that perhaps we can figure out a way to make sure that people understand that what they're getting, this could be it for um, next month, even if the shutdown does cease. Right. Um, and it, if the shutdown, obviously, as we've mentioned before, if it doesn't, then we're, in, then we're really in it. Right. And with the, the other conversation we've had right along that line is with the Michigan uh, Grocer Association because um, if people really get their benefits twice in within uh, one month, then you know we, they expect there will be a pretty decent run on uh, the food that's available. And so how do the grocers prepare for that? And, and so, again, it's just a lot of unknown there. It's a, missing t- it's a, a moving target. And uh, we keep trying to hit it. Yeah, I think the other thing, just from a purely factual standpoint, um, most people spend their SNAP dollars, uh, or most of their SNAP dollars, on their first visit to the store of the month. So when you look at SNAP spending, you see that people get their dollars. They have already gone a week, usually, sometimes more, where they have been desperately food insecure. So they get their SNAP card loaded or funded. They go to the store. They're trying to make up the gap that already exists in their house and then think ahead for what they need for the next couple weeks. And they end up spending three of the four weeks of money on the first visit to the store. Mm -hmm. So let's, you know, let's just, you know, think about now if you load a whole extra month and two days later in, in, in Dr. Phil's example, you have another month. You're already talking about uh, a habit of buying that's going to work counter to what's actually happening, right? So, so if people don't really realize what's happening, which how are they going to know? What is that communication going to be? I mean, these are all the behind-the-scenes things that have to happen in order for this to really work right. So there is some concern there just about um, the dynamics of how spending for SNAP works as well. Right. Absolutely. And we've just we're just digesting the initial release from USDA and that right. is the first concern we saw is to figure out how to get the word out. Right. And I think we're trying to figure that out and hopeful that USDA has a plan, but you have to remember USDA is working with a skeleton staff because right. they are shut down. So they have 
you know, a whole departments where one person is the person doing everything. So it's hard to see that they're going to really have the resources and the wherewithal to actually get that kind of notice out if we remain in a shutdown. And so it really will fall to organizations like ours to try and make sure people understand. But that's a tall order. Not everyone on SNAP is a food bank client. Right. That's true. And, you know, the other problem that we're hearing about, too, is so grocery stores have to be um, approved in order to uh, accept uh, EBT or bridge cards or SNAP benefits. Um, and there's about nationwide, I think there's about 2,500 different stores that were in the process of being reauthorized in order to re- be able to process these SNAP benefits. And, of course, now with the shutdown, there's no one there to reauthorize those stores. And so we have an even greater problem with, with uh, uh, food deserts, so to speak, where stores and even corner stores that are not arth- currently authorized to be able to uh, process those benefits, and it creates an even you know, greater problem and more dependence on our network. And I think that's where I'd like to take us is, what do we see? I mean, what are we expecting? Jerry, you on the ground level, and, and Kate, you from the, the Washington, D.C. level. I mean, if this thing lasts, it's going to put a tremendous amount of pressure on our network. So as we're talking to our partners, you know, we have 500 uh, partners that we work with in Southeast Michigan. And, you know, those would be pantries and schools and shelters and, and soup kitchens and... Um, and a host of other types of organizations who are distributing emergency food. Essentially, what we're in agreement about is that for the time being, for the next couple of weeks, we have a sufficient response to what we see the increase need to be. It's a stopgap response with the, with the expectation that the government shutdown will be done within two weeks. That's really, honestly, the feet-on-the-ground view right this second. Now, we are having much broader conversations about if it goes beyond two weeks. We can't turn the corner on the response in a day. It is going to take a lot of preparation because we go from the 800,000 workers nationwide, about 5,000 in Michigan who are furloughed and are immediately impacted. And their families. Exactly right. Um, to literally, it's going to be just in South Me- southeast Michigan alone. It's tens of thousands of people that will be impacted suddenly and probably for many of them by surprise. A lot of people don't don't really connect necessarily their reality with what's happening in Washington, you know. So so we're very concerned about that. We SNAP provides 12 meals for every meal we provide in our community. Um, so the the even the prospect of imagining being 12 times as big as we are this second is it's just it's almost impossible to imagine and even if you could imagine it for a week that you could somehow get enough support and enough distribution capacity and enough temporary help that you could manage that for a week or two you're not going to manage it for a month i mean so so the Scaling the response, spending the appropriate amount of money on what that response should be, doing the right amount of planning at the right time for that level of response, that's a very daunting task, and we're all a little bit um, concerned about it. Okay, Kate, so uh, no pressure, but can you fix that for us? 
<laughs> We're t- we are certainly trying. Uh, right now, things are, you know, people are doing the best they can throughout the network, and we're hearing from people all across the country that they are, um, whether it's seeing an influx of federal employees who are expecting not to get a paycheck, or even things as simple as other benefits or other programs that are funded through other agencies that we typically um, don't pay that much attention to in the food world, such as housing, uh, might be falling out from under people. And what happens when you lose your home? You're certainly, the first thing you need to do is find a place to sleep that night, but you also need food to eat. So I think we could see an increase in demand from programs that are outside of the typical nutrition world that are getting disrupted because of the shutdown. So the the need could increase even further. Um, and and just to be completely upfront, food banks are not re- going to be receiving administrative funds from the federal government and USDA that they typically rely on yep. to help store and distribute federal commodities. So that is something that food banks are absorbing on top of trying to prepare for that additional need, which is really not a great situation when you're already in the hole to try and pile on top of that. That said, I think food banks are always there to help and be uh, reliable in times of um, natural disasters. Mm -hmm. I think we're starting to look at this from the perspective here in D.C., in the D.C. office, as should we be looking at this as more of some sort of national disaster that we need to figure out a way to prepare for in the coming weeks. Or at least a man-made disaster. Yes. (laughs) Little pun there, but just nothing intended. It just (laughs) kind of came out. Anyway, hey, let's take a quick break, you guys. Uh, Kate Leon, our Chief Government Relations Officer for Feeding America. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here. Thanks for listening, everyone. Come back. We're going to have Kate for one more segment. You'll stay with us, won't you? Sure. Great. We'll be right back. You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Brought to you by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Kate Leon, the Chief Government Relations Officer for Feeding America in Washington, D.C. Kate, I'm telling you, it's a great privilege to have you on the show. First timer, first time to be on the show. How did that happen? I hope I get invited back. (laughs) So far, so good. We got to get through this segment, but we'll see. Well, you got my vote already, so if it doesn't happen, it'll be on Jerry. Who's in charge here? Yeah, well, that, that is a wonderful question. Um, which actually segues well into this third segment about the government shutdown. <laughs> Who is in charge? Um, so, you know, I mean, we talk on the show quite a bit about leadership and, um, you know, we seemingly have some folks who are more interested in, you know, fixing the blame than fixing the problem. And this thing is going to escalate. And I think that you guys in Washington, D.C. are already having some conversations about the ripple effect economically. Each week, the U.S. economy is losing about $1.2 billion for each week the shutdown persists. So that is quite a bit of money. Um, It's a small percentage of the GDP, but it really is, over time, going to impact really all segments across uh, this country, and you know, there are plenty of stories about how this is impacting people who are trying to purchase homes um, mm. and slowing down those uh, transactions. It's really going to have a broad impact across 
the economy if it persists. And I think that we really are, you know, nearing a time where we are going to have to look at this more broadly than just which particular segments of the federal government happen to be shut down um, to looking at what impact is it having across all aspects of the economy. I think one of the guys that I spoke with uh, the last couple of days doing some research for the show talked about when it begins to impact air travel, look out. It's it's such, it will be, you know, momentum's our best friend or our worst enemy. And at that point, it's going to become our worst enemy. The other thing I want to I want to connect this to is, you know, one of the things that we believe is key to solving food insecurity is understanding really clearly who wins when we win. And in 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 and we know that healthcare wins when food security is solved, we know that education wins when food security is solved. We know that businesses that are paying wages below the living wage win when food security is solved and so on. You know, we talk about this and we talk about this as a key part of what we need to understand if we're going to solve this problem. And so what what I think this relates in this way is that there's so many people losing when this isn't solved, right? And so many people will win when the government shutdown is over. It's an enormous number of people, and it's many of the same people that we've already talked about. We know that healthcare wins. We know that education wins. You talked about the housing uh, mm-hmm. people. We know that not just the individuals, but think about all the connections there. The banks and other lenders that are helping that happen. The people in the real estate business who are being affected. And when you start looking at the ripple effect of this, it actually highlights one of the key things that we talk about often on the show, which is there are a lot of winners when you solve problems and consequentially a lot of losers when you don't. Is that a call to action for our listeners and for the people who are supporting our our work? Uh, Because again, the consequence I see that's going to really happen to us is this thing prolongs. It's going to put such a tremendous stress on the food bank network and our resources. So what should people do? What, how, how should we address this? I think the best thing people can do right now is to humanize this issue and to make people understand the impact it's having on individuals across the country and on specific businesses across the country. Right now, we're talking in broad terms, $1.2 billion each mm-hmm. week out of the economy. What does that mean to the local grocery in a food desert and they're the only one? What does it mean to an individual who can't get their mortgage approved? What does it mean to someone facing food insecurity Mm -hmm. and needing to visit a pantry for the first time? I think really making sure that lawmakers are hearing across the board from people who are impacted and sending in your story is really the most effective way right now to convince people that this is not an abstract issue. This is having real consequences to people. And I might add, in addition to lawmakers, a lot of our listeners are in positions of influence in their companies and and perhaps are even owners of businesses and things like that. And I think there's a whole network of other people that need to understand this This should end. There, there's no reason that the, that the partial shutdown continues. So when you when you talk to the people in your circles about this, um, don't let up the pressure. Make sure they understand that this is affecting your employees. This 
is affecting the the people in your community you depend on. I mean, if you depend on going out to dinner once a week even, but the people who are in in the jobs that are serving you in those capacities are suffering, you are going to suffer. There there this the reach of this is really truly enormous and I believe it touches everyone. So so our listeners were we're counting on you to keep the pressure up. I mean in in all of your circles to let people know that this isn't about ideology at this point. It's gone on long enough. The point has been made. I think we understand what the point is and it's time to start thinking about people and and our our community first. Well, I I agree with both of you. That's not surprising, right? I mean, that's not a shocker. <laughs> but um I think I want to point back to the show two weeks ago, Jerry, when in the monologue I talked about that the partial government shutdown is a reckless negotiation tool, and it's it's unacceptable. It puts too many innocent people at risk, and not just the folks that we serve, but we're seeing this now, as we've talked about, 800,000 different federal employees and their families. And the other part that I want to reemphasize, too, is that there is a responsibility in the media to report this accurately and not to sensationalize. Look, we're, we're weeks into this thing now. There's enough reality here to create the urgency. We don't have to manufacture any of that. So, Kate, we're coming to the close here, and I, I got to tell you, man, it was awesome to have you on the show, and we're thankful for your leadership, and uh, thanks for being with us and talking to us, and we hope you'll come back and are you voting yes here? I'm voting yes, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. In fact, where's the golden buzzer? I want to hit the golden yeah, yeah, buzzer. Yeah, oh, right. Passed through. Right. <laughs> Kate Leon, the. Uh, thank you. Thanks, thanks so much for being with us. We'll give you the last word here. Well, I just want to thank you for having me on and for the work you do every day, and really for your focus on this incredibly important issue and making sure that people understand the impact. Um, because it's being felt and it will continue to be felt and really making sure that people understand the real on-the-ground impact of, of actions that occur here or, at, or that don't occur here in Washington <laughs> is something that, that people here need to be reminded of every day in the bubble, as we call it here right. in D.C. Great. Kate Leone, the Chief Government Relations Officer for Feeding America, our friend and colleague. Kate, thanks for being on the show. Jerry and I will be right back in just a moment. Welcome back to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. That was Kate Leone. Uh, what a great partner, Jerry, and just got her hand right on the pulse of this partial government shutdown. Well, and it helps us a lot to have people there. And and that, you know, Feeding America raises the money they need to raise to accomplish that service on our behalf. And right. so it's a huge benefit to us um, that, that we really couldn't be as prepared as we are if it weren't for the people there doing the work they're doing. So it, another great shout out to Feeding America and the work they do and Kate and the work she does every day to make sure that people understand the consequences of legislation on the people we serve. Well, I, I good. And one of the things I like too is in our show, at least, we're not debating the, the, the noun, the topic of the, of the shutdown. We're addressing the shutdown. 
Because and I'll, I'll just make the point once again, this is the third shutdown under this administration. And as you pointed out a couple of weeks ago, we might need to begin to put this into our thinking. So uh, hopefully not, but it looks like it's an MO, and we need to be able to be ready for these types of events. I just hope they never become the norm. I hope not, too. Um, and And I hope that we can... <laughs> I mean, just overall, find a way to separate the um, what's the issues really are from the rhetoric. Mm. You know, when we get so focused on the rhetoric and we make the rhetoric what's important, instead of really saying, hey, you know, there's consequences to our decisions or lack of decisions, and we've got to be thoughtful about that. And I, I just think the pendulum has swung too far. Yeah, I do too. So I think this is a, as we said, is a reckless negotiation tool, and I'd like to see it not employed anymore. Let's end it, and then let's go to work on fixing whatever the issue of this shutdown might be so that we don't ever have another shutdown. But our response, that is the network of the Food Bank Council of Michigan's response to this crisis, this man-made crisis, we have a little experience with that in Flint, and... um we're having a little more experience with that now, unfortunately. But you have really put together uh, a team here in southeast Michigan because we said there's five to 6,000 uh, furloughed employees and their families. The bulk of those are here in southeast Michigan. While all of our food banks are beginning to inquire and address of the need in their area, you've put together a pretty solid coalition to address some of the needs because, as you said, some of the people that are coming or missing a paycheck in the next day or so, uh, or just recently, um, may never have been in need before, and they don't know how to access help. Yeah, and that is often the case. And we've said this on the show that one of the one of the things we experience at the food bank level is that people wait too long to ask for help, and there's no reason to wait too long to ask for help. When you need help, you need to ask for help, and it's difficult, and people are embarrassed to do it. But it, as in so many cases with the people we serve, life happens, and it's oftentimes not only your decisions that have caused this to happen. So so the, the way to get help, if you're a furloughed employee, and I just want to say to be absolutely clear, and you have your ID that identifies you as a federal employee, and you have a photo ID, you can get help. Call 211. 211 is a program of the United Way. United Way is a terrific partner with Gleaners and Forgotten Harvest and the other agencies, the Capuchins. The, really? Statewide? That's exactly right. And uh, and the Salvation Army and other people who depend on 211 to let people know where they can get help. And that is the right number to call. 211. And they will tell you where you can go to get food. It's really important. So identify yourself as a furloughed federal employee. That's exactly right. And they will tell you where you can get food. So awesome. that's the first thing. The food is available for you. The second thing is, if you're not a furloughed employee, but you need food help, you can still call 211. Hmm. 211 is there for the community 24-7. It is always there. It is there for you. Please use that resource and and um, and food is available. So, so just, you know, first and foremost, if you need help, 
call 211. Secondly, uh, the coalition of people that we're working with, I named some of them, as well as um, the Michigan Department of Education that works with us a lot on these issues is coming up with a statewide plan, and we're in constant communication with them about how they're going about this and what is their next step. And I'm going to give a shout-out again to Dr. Golzinski, who works closely with us on all these issues to keep us apprised of the things that are happening. We're really grateful to her and their involved. And as this persists, which we hope it doesn't, even more people are going to have to be involved. We have 500 agencies we work with. All of them eventually will be involved as part of the solution and helping us think through our response. The enormity of this is one of the most important things we need to underscore. If the government shutdown persists, tens of thousands of people in our community everywhere will be affected and it will affect your life so it's easy to push this off as somebody else's problem and we have to stop that now it is all of our problem it is going to be consequential we cannot let this persist if you know anybody that has any influence to say stop the madness of the shutdown do it it's really important that's great thoughts jerry thank you thanks for your leadership and building this coalition to address the need. Time for a little food for thought. Big problems need big leaders to solve them, and it starts and ends with perspective. What's the mindset and the attitude? Perspective on the problem rather than the problem itself determines success or failure. Because we see problems not as they are, but as we are. That's why attitude plays a crucial role in separating those who lead from those who follow. Alfred Montepert said, The majority see the obstacles, the few see the objectives. History records the successes of the latter, while oblivion is the reward of the former. Food insecurity, like a partial government shutdown, is a big problem, but both can be solved. We believe that here on Food for Thought, and we hope that you do too. Special thanks to Kate Leone from Feeding America as our guest, Mark Blackwell, our producer. Catch up on all of our Food for Thought as a podcast at foodsecuremichigan.org. And until next week, remember, it's food first, folks. Food first. Food for Thought has been a presentation of the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.